Welcome to Scenario D, the podcast that takes you behind the magic by giving you the facts and a whole lot of feels. I'm Lish. And I'm Curbs. And this week we're exploring our first type of Disney adult, a category I claim to be from time to time. I never claimed to be this, but we are still talking about the movie magic historian. So this brand of Disney adult is not just someone who enjoys the films. There's a lot of people in podcasts out there that love to talk about Disney animated films. They maybe even know a little bit about behind the scenes, but no one does the deep dive like the movie magic historian. These Disney adults not only know everything there is to know about the making of, but why the movie was made and why it was or wasn't a success. Today we are talking to Daniel Lamon from one of my favorites, The Ink and Paint, a journey through the Disney animated classics podcast. If you want to learn more about behind the scenes of Disney classics, be sure to give him a listen. Or you can find him on Instagram at inkpaintpod for all of that extra magic. Okay, Curbs, we are so excited because today we have a special guest with us. We have Daniel Lamon joining us from the Ink and Paint podcast. So welcome, Daniel. We are so excited to have you here today. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for having me. I was really, I was really quite chuffed when I got your message being like, do you want to be on our podcast? I was like, oh, <laughs> I mean, yes, obviously. Thank you. I don't think you... Like when we reached out to you, Daniel, I we were like so nervous. We're like, oh we my were. goodness, we want to. Yeah. We like we love Daniel's podcast. Like he seems like a really big deal. He has original music. Like his art yeah. is really cool. It's like, but let's just try it. Let's just see. Let's just see. And then when you responded in the same day, I texted Lish right away. I was like, Daniel is <laughs> in. Like I, we were so excited. Yeah. Oh no! Like we, I make we make this out of our bedrooms. Like it's yeah. not, a, not at all. There's some people who like you know will record the podcast in like mm-hmm. their like their closet with all the pillows mm-hmm. up. I don't even bother yeah. with that. My poor poor producer Alex is always just like, "Can you put some sound cladding yeah. up?" I'm like, yeah. I don't know what that means. So whenever we have guests, we like to start with a few questions just to help our listeners get to know you a little bit. So first question is most magical Disney movie. Okay, I need to ask a qualifying question with this. Now, when you refer mm-hmm. to the, are you referring to like what is my favorite yes. Disney movie or what? Yes. Okay, easy. Beauty and the Beast. It's yeah. Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> All I right. Say, I think I knew that just from the you fact listening. that you have the poster yes. and you, you know, oh, yeah. shared that on Instagram. And I was like, oh my goodness, look at this beautiful poster. So it's that honestly, honestly, one of my top 10 favorite films of all time. Mm. Like for a long time, it was in mm-hmm. my top five. Um, oh, yeah. it, it's one of the most. Why isn't it in your top five art. still? Um, uh, I, there was, um, well, David Finch's Zodiac pushed it out. And then mm-hmm. I saw a, a, a Russian film from the 1980s that I was like, no, this has to be in my top five. So I think it's currently mm-hmm. number seven, but it's ahead okay. of Spirited Away, which I feel like is a bit of a contentious decision. And I'm sure a lot yeah. of my friends would be like, yeah. we have yeah. to, we'll talk about that offline, but like, <laughs> I, like yeah. I, I don't know. I, it's a tough, it's a tough one for sure, but I'm yeah. curious. You asked a qualifying question of like what most magical means. What was the other way that question could be interpreted? Because now I'm curious to know what that answer is. Too. Um, I guess a Disney film that had the most magical effect on me was kind of the oh. other thought. Like, oh. is was has it was a film that because I mean, Beauty and the Beast is a masterpiece and a film mm, that yeah. I love very mm-hmm. very deeply. But 
if I was thinking like, oh, if it's if it's about a film that had a magical impact on me the first time mm-hmm. that I would have seen it, um, yeah, that would be actually not Beauty and the Beast. It would be another one of the. What of would the, that be? Now we've got. Yeah, a... Well, I know this is a contentious point from listening to your podcast, and it's a contentious point, but it's the Sword and the Stone. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, like I. I was thinking through them and like thinking through which are the ones because I'm not a nostalgic person. I don't think about my childhood, like what I thought about things in my childhood Mm -hmm. very much. And certainly my love for the films now doesn't have a lot to do with those, those memories. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I, I thought through like, which is a film that when I first saw it had such a big like effect on me Mm -hmm. in terms of the way that I saw the world and the way I felt Mm -hmm. in the world and interacted with the world. And it was, yeah, I think it was around when I was like five or six seeing The Sword and the Stone for the first time and I became obsessed with it. Oh, Um, wow. And it's I, always been one that's a stuck lot with of me. people that I, I know that watched it when they were younger and have kind of the same feeling. I didn't watch it until last year and I was like, yeah. wow, this is boring. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I warned her. I was like, as adults, it's yeah. just not gonna hit the same for us. Mm-hmm. So we we do know that, but I kind of love that, you know. I feel mm-hmm. like that's a it's a purest response. It is. Also, I it thought is. you were gonna leave your statement. I, I don't think about my childhood much. Like I thought <laughs> you were just gonna leave it there. And I mean all, uh, fine but I was like that's just interesting for someone who's passionate mm-hmm. about Disney and a lot of us are introduced well, to Disney when we're that is a thing that is that I mean in terms of like looking you know at you know when you sent through the list of the kind of questions and stuff we want to talk about that was definitely a thing I was thinking I was like oh I'm gonna have to talk about the <laughs> I'm not nostalgic thing <laughs> which is a good thing but yeah that would be that would be my answer for the one that's had the most magical effect on me. I I, I kind of love that. We should yeah. like, we should be changing our questions to include that because that is that's the type of angle that hits this nostalgic weirdo right in the face. Yeah. You know? Like, because yeah, I am a very sure. nostalgic person. Yeah. So even though you're not a nostalgic person, that memory or that feeling to me is it's like your one pass. Yeah. It's like yeah. you're like I'm not nostalgic except for this. <laughs> like I rem- I remember go- watching that film and then we taped. It, I think we taped it off television. It would have been on like the Wonderful World of Disney or something. Mm-hmm. And I sat there with an because I was this weird kid that loved having like audio tapes and VHSs and all that kind of stuff. And I had a little tape recorder and I'd record stuff all the time. Um, like I used to sit That's there so as a kid cute. and press record and just tell stories into a tape recorder. You were born um, to be a podcast host. Like I guess I hadn't yeah. thought of that. <laughs> but what I what I did was I sat there and I recorded the audio of um Higgitus Figitus of, of Merlin mm-hmm. doing the spell to put all the, the objects into his bag. And then I went to school the next day and I would have been probably f- six years old. And for okay. show and tell, I performed that song. That's so cute. I lip synced. Oh my it. gosh. I sat, I stood in a chair and I waved my arms around and I just like, it's, it's, it's a film that's just always had, like, it's, it's revisiting as an adult. I was surprised Mm -hmm. how much it still affected me. And I guess maybe Mm -hmm. it's something to do with, I mean, we talked about through the episode, but the way that it deals with the mentorship of young men and like Mm -hmm. the idea of like Merlin taking the time with Wart to go, you know, I think this kid has something and I'm Mm going to invest the time in it when he's living in a world where no one will invest any time or interest in him at all. And even he doesn't believe that he's of any worth. And I guess maybe as a six-year-old little boy and, you know, coming from like my parents were divorced and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't have many father figures around seeing that I would have just been like, oh, that's cool. But also I think I wanted, I think I wanted to be Merlin as well. Like Merlin's probably the character. in. I mean, it's the hat and the robe for me, honestly. Yeah. Like the magic, whatever, it's the outfit that really got me excited. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's fabulous. I mean, 
that's such a that's such a beautiful thing for you to take away though even at mm-hmm. the age of six as that being what kind of touched you or tugged at your heartstrings mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. that movie and I mean I do think that that kind of through line is powerful we yeah. just both wish that we liked the movie I know. you know it's like that- I wanted to like it I really did I tried I tried yeah, hard Lish tried yeah. really hard because she loves you know the artists from that time at Disney oh, and kind yeah. of like the visual direction is strong. It as, is actually yes. As I was know, surprised. But... Yeah, the visuals were were quite good. But yeah. yeah, I mean, even I watched it with my dad. We were both so excited. We had never seen it before, and we were just like, "Oh, this is boring. <laughs> like this is it like is... hard to get through." Yeah, it is a little bit of a mess of a film, I yeah. guess, because of the circumstances under which it was made. But like, yeah, yeah, there's just it, it's it's. I mean, also, I just think Madame Mim is so funny like she's, but she's just not so barely, damn she's barely funny. in it like you know yeah. they needed more the funny thing is when i read i was i was reading that i read the book at the same time as researching it the once and future king and she's not in the book at all she's in like the original published version of the first book but for the full five volume edition they remove her and i was like oh what? i wanted to see if she does the purple yeah. dragon thing it does the yeah. same dance. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Just... La, 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 la. <laughs> so yeah. We've got another question for you. And I mean, you may right. have just kind of answered this one, but we are going to ask what your most magical Disney moment was. Now this can include like movies, theme parks, like merchandise, any, any Disney moment that was just the most magical for you. Um, I think it's the transformation scene in Beauty and the Beast. Like I think it's, and, and in, in kind mm-hmm. of both in kind of two iterations. I mean, I, it's funny for it being a, like, I remember going to see Beauty and the Beast. I don't remember watching Beauty and the Beast in the cinema. Um, like, I think I was just so kind of gobsmacked by it. Um, yeah. And I would have been seven, I think. But also I got to see the, when the the Broadway musical toured to Australia when I was like eight or like nine or 10. Mm-hmm. Um, that moment also in the stage production was so alarming because, you know, you're watching, like my memory of it is you're just watching the, the makeup disappear off the actor playing the beast and then you revealed to be the prince but mm-hmm. like i think it's i just think it's maybe the best moment in a disney film at all yeah. like of all time like there's just it's the last time i watched it i just broke down because it's mm-hmm. just so in like mm-hmm. it's not just in terms of like the like because you know it's quite easy to how beautiful it is as a work of art like you know glenn yeah. Keane's animation is out of this world like yeah it's, it's, <laughs> yeah um but it's also just the accumulation of the like the emotional arc of the film and the way mm-hmm. that like you see like the the, the 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 characters all finally achieving the thing that they have seconds beforehand just given up on ever having. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it would be that. I haven't been to any of the theme parks, so I can't even pick. I can't pick a theme park moment. That's going to be my reward when I finish Ink and Paint is to go to. A theme <laughs> oh, park. that's to go. Cool. Yes. Which one are you going to go to? Oh, uh, um, the original. To Disneyland. Yeah. Disneyland. You're like, okay. please. Yeah. Please. I want to go and see the bins. I want to go and see the rubbish bins yeah. that Walt Disney specifically designed to be yeah. a specific look. Like, that's yeah. all. Like, I just want to go, like, oh, that's what he means. Yeah. After reading about sure. them, like, what does he mean the bins were, ha- the, the rubbish bins had to be specific? Yeah. Um, yeah. We've, ne- we've never been to Disneyland. We are Disney World people. And I mean, oh, yeah. Lish, Lish mm-hmm. and I, Lish, listen, your name is Lish. <laughs> Lish and I have talked before about going to the OG to Disneyland mm-hmm. in California, but because we love Disney World so much, it's like when you're going to spend that much money on a trip, yeah, 
bird in hand just, worth two in the bush yeah like, I don't know. there's just I so think, much more at disney world yeah, and like no, they're I'm, constantly doing new stuff like i'm so behind because i haven't been in like seven years yeah so it's like yeah yeah so you're missing things i've seen more than you have but mm-hmm. i think there's I, I think we both agreed if we ever went to d23 yeah obviously would do yes. disneyland like can you imagine yeah. if we went just for d23 and didn't go to disneyland <laughs> was like no i'm here i'm here for d23 only thank yeah. you yeah i'm sure there I'm are people he- who do that i'm but... here ju- well i'm sure there are people who do that because they're probably just there to watch what all the marvel announcements are which yeah, is pretty true. much all that d23 is now i had a yeah. friend message me on the most recent d23 he's like this must be a really depressing day for you and i was like to be honest i've stopped watching almost everything they make now so it's only yeah. and if, it's, if it's not animated i don't really care so yeah um, <laughs> gotten out of hand Fair. yes definitely yeah. definitely that's a yeah. conversation for another podcast yeah. another time i don't want to exactly. make you yeah. lose listeners yeah <laughs> and final question we have for you is what is your most magical ink and paint episode so your favorite episode of yours oh, i know hard um i don't i mean i have like a little subset like a little collection of episodes that i would say are my favorite but I think the most magical moment would have been for me recording the Dumbo interview. It was with an art historian named um, Dr. Carmenita Higginbotham, who's in the States. She was teaching in Virginia at the time. And it was still very early on in the making of the podcast. And I didn't, I, we, mm-hmm. it was one of those things where we, we, we didn't really know what we were doing when we first started mm-hmm. it. We had the kind of conceit of like, originally the original conceit was just interviews. And I put forward the idea right. of like, interviewing people who might have an interesting perspective on the films. The whole narration thing was never even considered. That only came about mm-hmm. because I was like, well, I'm a nerd. So I wanted to learn more about the subject before I talk to <laughs> yeah. people about it. Right. Um, but it was this kind of belief that we wanted the podcast to have this stronger analytical like structure to it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'd done, I think we'd recorded a few, a bunch of interviews before that. And they'd all gone really well, particularly like the Snow White episode, I remember being really, really jazzed about because it was, mm-hmm. it, it, we got really dug into it. But these were all people that I knew. And the um, Dr. Higginbotham was the first person I spoke to that I'd never mm. met, I've never met right. before. Got right. on to Zencaster, couldn't see her face, she couldn't see mine, ended up talking to her for much longer than I expected. But it was talking to someone who had an authoritative background in an area of research that I didn't know showing her background Mm -hmm. being early modern American art with a focus on representation of African-American people and cultures within that art um and so it was just an area I was completely I knew nothing about right um, right. and wanted to look at the film through that lens because of the the ending yeah yeah and I remember (laughs) I remember being completely enraptured every single second of that interview and then wanting to I could like could have talked to her for days afterwards and we finished the recording she seemed really happy with how it went she was really lovely was very Mm -hmm. funny but very informative and she was like you know it was just it was kind of a dream interview and I remember getting off like I was because we were in lockdown in Melbourne at that point Mm -hmm. so I was like you know couldn't leave my house yeah (laughs) didn't leave didn't leave my house for 180 days you know but Mm -hmm. Normal stuff. Yeah. Normal stuff. Um, Well, by the end of it, it felt very normal. Um, Yeah. Right. But when it was done, I remember just standing in my bedroom and just cheering. Like I was jumping up and down with excitement because I just went, 
I that's it. That's that's what this podcast is. That's now mm-hmm. the, the that's bar so cool. that I have to set of like mm-hmm. this is the level of discussion that I need to be able to have about all of these films. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was as much as like for Snow White, that kind of solidified for us what the concept was. Dumbo right. was the one where we went, okay, maybe we actually can pull this off. Maybe there is a way to do this and talk about these films in this way that is going to be enriching for the listeners, enriching for me, enriching mm-hmm. for the person we're talking to. Um, yeah. And then from then onwards, it was just like, or every if, in every interview just had to match I feel that. like you have a way yeah. of finding such interesting guests that I don't, like I would never have seen the parallel. And then once you start talking to them, you're like, oh, this is a fresh perspective that, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't have necessarily put together. So I think, you know, you have a great way of wrapping that in and tying that into your episodes and the films. So that's, yeah. Thank you. That's because I mean, that's what, <laughs> that's what the whole idea of doing it was, was to go, mm-hmm. How can we talk about these films in a way that isn't the way you would usually think to talk about them? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, most of the time it just comes down to I rewatching the film and going, what is the question that I have as someone who mm-hmm. is passionate about these films and this art movement and film in general and storytelling? What question does this particular film pose that I would want to hear somebody talk about? So like right. looking at the Jungle Book and going, actually, and originally I thought the Jungle Book, I was going to go on a completely different angle with that. And instead I would watch and I was like, this is about foster parents or looking mm-hmm. at um, the rescuers down, the rescuers and going, this is about, you know, social, like, you know, yeah. helping children in crisis or mm-hmm. Bambi being talking about the psychology of children or the Sword and Stone talking about teachers or like, you know, that kind yes. of thing. Um, yeah. So it just comes down to me being inquisitive and nerdy yes. and going what yeah. do I want to hear somebody talk and a lot of the time a lot of people are like why are you contacting me like <laughs> I don't know anything about yeah. Disney and I'm like yeah. that's the point that's, that's the what point yeah. yeah yeah you want the fresh perspectives of you know of somebody with their interesting angle that they have on it which I think is really really cool yeah well, yeah. and I actually, it sounds like if we're talking about this larger concept of Disney adults, right? And the three of us are kind mm-hmm. of falling into that somewhere along this big old spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yep. It sounds like you had a similar approach to Disney podcasts or Disney content that Lish and I do, which is kind of like, there's no one having this conversation that we've found so far that is interesting for me to want to listen to. Like I'm that, that really resonated with me when you were just saying now where you're like, what are the questions I have that I wish someone was asking or talking about so that mm-hmm, I yeah. can then like provide that conversation for someone else to learn from or listen to. And that's kind of how Lish and I stumbled upon like our format for our show. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are, I think we're bigger fools than you are a lot of the time. <laughs> oh uh, no. Yeah. I mean, and, and say I say that. that, I say that loving what we do. I want to be very yeah. clear. There is no shame in our game. I'm thrilled. Every time we do something, I'm like, this is A plus content. This is what the people need and what they want. But as like, you should, as you yeah, should. Right? right? With all due like humility and respect to everybody. But, but, but like, you know, I, when you listen to us, like, where we stand and how we feel because we often have like polarizing opinions or, you know, we can't as much as we want to be informative and, you know, go behind the scenes and we learn and, you know, are trying to help educate our listeners. We have a lot of our personal feelings that we can't keep out. Something that we really like about your podcast is I feel like it's more you giving us how it went down and it's kind of hard to tell if you really like or dislike a movie 
when I'm listening to it. Cause like sometimes like I listen to like a few specific episodes to try to see like, how does he actually like feel about the episodes? Is that kind of the case for you? Like, do you, do you have strong feelings about certain movies over others? Or oh, yeah, of, of yeah. course. Um, I mean, in a way that's like the loveliest compliment to get because the, one of the things that I, again, very early on in the making it was I realized I needed to not be a feature of mm-hmm. the podcast, that it was more right. interesting for me. Like I would always go, it, whenever Alex, my producer, was editing the podcast, my rule team is always, if you need to cut stuff out of the interview, cut me out of the interview because it's right. more interesting to hear the other person speaking from their background. Because, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I think about this a lot, all these films and analysing them and breaking them down, but they don't. And it's more interesting right. to hear the fresh perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the narration, it kind of, the advantage is that I can yeah. kind of remove myself, except for the very, very end where I kind of slip in a little bit and be like, well, this is what I really yeah. think about the film. <laughs> but, I mean, by, yeah, the I have, yeah. by, by the way. Um, yeah. I mean, I've been very lucky in that, where I'm up to, which in terms of the episodes that have been released, we're only mm-hmm. we're up at, up to Oliver and Company. There haven't been many that I haven't liked. Um, there are some that I feel much stronger about than mm-hmm. others in terms of yeah. thinking, like you know, like Pinocchio is like the Sistine Chapel of animation, and Sleeping Beauty is insane, and Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. is magnificent. And um, is it? I mean, oh, it's <laughs> we're not Alice fans. Wonder- we're not Alice- fans. <laughs> Okay, Alice in Wonderland is the first film I think I ever saw, and it's probably the film I've watched the most. And as I've grown Mm, up, my love for it has just gotten. And also, Alice in Wonderland is one of my favorite books, and I've watched so many. Yeah, I've watched so many adaptations of of that book, and that is the only one that understands that it's supposed to be funny. Yes, like I I will give you all of those points. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't yeah, help myself. No. I had to slip that in. Yeah, like, it's. I don't know. But that's but that's the thing is like that's what's this is the kind of conversations that I want to be having, which is the mm-hmm. thing of like, I don't like something. And then the follow-up being, why don't I like something? And yeah. that was the thing that always frustrated me talking about Disney with other people is that either it would be at a completely, complete inability to be objective because it's all about, and you know, I'm not, you know, said in the podcast many times, I'm not nostalgic. I don't care about mm-hmm. what I thought as a kid. I care about what I think now. And there are films that I loved as a kid that I still love. And there are films that I mm-hmm. loved as a kid that I now can't stand. But right. you would talk to people. I talk to people about Disney and you could see this, these rose colored glasses go over their eyes. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. but why do you like that? Yeah. Or like, you know, where's critically engaged with, because they're works of art. They deserve to yeah. be. Or the opposite of the end of the spectrum. And it's the kind of the, the, the weird thing of being a, like a film buff in general yeah. is that when I kind of high, talk to people, try to talk to other film buffs about Disney, there's almost immediate kind of rejection of the idea of them being of artistic importance. They're kind of, you know, they're, you know, either, either products that are made for children or works right. of the most and evil entertainment entity wild in the world. knowing what we know about what goes into them. Like they're mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. like crazy amounts of like artistic creativity and just like blood sweat and tears and you know totally. just so much that goes into them yeah but he, but even then that's kind of that was then the other kind of other person that I started to particularly once I started the podcast was that that was another kind of Disney animation fan that I'd come across and I have this it's probably a bit snobby but I have this thing whenever I see listicles of like people going and rating ranking the 60 animated features yeah. 
And I have a thing of if they put Snow White as number one, I don't trust them. I don't because, either. Yeah. And not <laughs> yes. and not because not because Snow White isn't a great film. It's a great film. Like it, it is, is a magnificent film. Mm-hmm. But the reason always is it's the first. And I'm like, yes, but that's not a reason for to, it to like, be that's the best. Not the, yeah. the, the best. If your reason is the way that the character development is is constructed, like if yes. it's just tech, if it's just technical, I'm like, but mm-hmm. that's not what like a film is not a technical object. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. 2001: A Space Odyssey is not a technical object. It's an emotional right, object. Yeah. If like when I remember interviewing, I think it was JB Kaufman, one of the Disney historians for the podcast, and when I got to the question at the end of what's your favorite Disney animated film, he instantly said it was Snow White because of the way it made him feel, and I was like, great. Mm. That's Valid what answer. I would. Yeah, it's like looking <laughs> yeah. looking through the like nine old men, Mary Blair, mm-hmm. Glenn Keane, Howard Ashman like lenses of it to go. But what does this? What does this thing do to me? Like yes. how does it? How does it impact me? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, and they were yeah the the kind of discussions like this. This is the kind of discussions I wanted to be I wanted to be having, which is why I then decided to make a bloody podcast about <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> of my life yeah. to it. I know. I think I know. You touched on something really interesting that Lish and I came up against when we did our princess season and talked about Pocahontas. Like your comments on people putting the rose-colored glasses on and being like, "Well, I loved yes. it as a kid, so I love it now." And Pocahontas was my favorite Disney movie. It was the first movie I memorized in its entirety. I knew all the choreography. I knew the blocking. I knew all the lines. I knew every character's kidding. name. I knew everything, Daniel. I do not kid you. Ask anyone who knew me as a child. The only movie that I that rivals it in terms of how well I knew it was Prince of Egypt because it's my favorite movie of all time. It's just yeah. a stunning masterpiece. But then when we started really digging into it, some of the things that I had chosen to ignore in terms of its cultural appropriation, its inappropriate representation of indigenous peoples, like the hurt that that film caused, When I started to dig into those things and actually confront them, I realized that my feeling now as an adult who's passionate about Disney as an art form and as a cultural, you know, touchstone, my opinions had changed. That film is no longer in Mm -hmm. my top 10 anything, really, because of how inaccurate it is and how hurtful it was to the people it's apparently portraying. And I think that that kind of willingness of people like us to talk about movies and to look at them objectively with you know when it comes to me a healthy healthy helping of feelings yeah (laughs) well but I think that's what separates people with interests like ours from other Mm -hmm. Disney fans who would say well it's Pocahontas because it was my favorite and she's like adventurous and brave or whatever (laughs) do you know what I mean like that like all these things that you're talking about, the reason that you want to start your own podcast, like it's just kind of like, mm. it's hitting me. I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. And I, I mean, guess. being being able to identify those aspects of the films that don't hold up or those aspects of the films that make us uncomfortable doesn't mean dismissing, like doesn't the mean thing. the whole yeah. thing. No, like, you yeah. know, it's like talking, like bring with relation to Dumbo. Like Dumbo is like 95% a perfect film. Like, it does mm-hmm. everything. Like it's it's daring. It's simple. It's beautiful. It's moving. Like in like the, everything about it just works, except that five percent at the end where the crows turn up, and that doesn't yeah. work. But that doesn't. And the beginning and it, with the circus being set. And up. the beginning with the circus when you when you really look and you're like, there's there's a problem here. There's yeah. a, that's a there's big a, problem. There's yeah. a yeah. there's a cultural problem. But even yeah. then, it's like acknowledging that these films have problems doesn't mean putting them in a drawer and dismissing them because in some cases like 
you know, Peter Pan is a wonderful film. Its representation it's of Native American people is terrible. It's bad. But you, but it's the thing of being able to like, if you can identify that problem, mm-hmm. it means your understanding of that work of art is richer. Like, it, it, funny yeah. enough, on that conversation with Dr. Hig- Higginbotham, after we finished, we kept chatting for a while and the subject of Gone with the Wind came up. And I was like, I was like, that's like the great riddle of being a film buff is what do you do with Gone with Wind? She's like, oh yeah, I know. She's like, I'm, you know, I'm African-American and Gone with Wind is one of my favorite films. Like there's like, but like being able to identify there is a problem inherent in this work of art. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes a balancing act of how do you Mm -hmm. deal with that? The thing with like, you know, the Orientalism in Aladdin, it's, you have to contend with it, even though Aladdin is like spectacular and you know, the same with Mulan, Mm -hmm. the same with all of these films. The thing with like Rescue is Down Under for an Australian is such a weird experience to watch because it's a film that is supposed to be about the country you come from and yet has nothing about the country you come from at all. Right. Like, yeah. It's like yeah. the 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 horror of the of cultural representation and appropriation in that film is the decision to erase the idea that there is an indigenous peoples in this country at all. Right, um, right. Yeah. And so then when you come to a yeah. film like Pocahontas, it's like, well, what's the ba- like is the balance of inappropriate cultural appropriation and representation so bad that the film itself actually can't function and i mean i think that's the case i think pocahontas doesn't function i mean also i think pocahontas is actually like i loved it as a kid but watching mm-hmm. it as i know also like this film doesn't work um mm. and that's one of many reasons but that's kind of almost the biggest reason but yeah. it it means that i now am able to watch that film with an enriched understanding of what this object means what yes, this object right means mm-hmm. not just to me but to people to other people who are watching it yeah the bigger picture of it yeah exactly mm-hmm. and yeah. that picture can only be better by knowing more and that knowing more doesn't mean reading a bunch of facts out of a book reading more is like thinking about the thing you're watching and mm-hmm. sometimes a film comes along and it's like don't think about it and like you're just watching mm-hmm. it to be entertaining and that's fine like you mm-hmm. know it's okay to just be entertained by something we usually do it as in like we will do a bunch of research for the film and then we'll watch it and it's like watching it with fresh eyes like the amount of things yeah. that I just like didn't notice or I pick up on and it's just like a whole different viewing experience then you get a movie like Big Hero 6 and it's just as bad as we've ever seen <laughs> oh, you know <laughs> I'm, I, I have to come out to bat for Big Hero 6 I think it's wonderful I think but again <laughs> like it may be just the thing of like being it's a film about guys and their brothers like it's, you, you know, know what and, anyway. i i yeah. like that nugget like like the, mm-hmm. that that is strong but there was something about that movie that i was like whether i'm watching this just to be entertained or for this to be you know a cultural touchstone either way it's not happening for me it's yeah. just not it's not gonna be it and that's i was gonna ask has there been a film that you've where your opinion on it that you had seen before and then you mm-hmm. went into the research process of kind of learning more about where it came from and then revisited it and your opinion had changed either for the positive or the negative obviously Pocahontas mm-hmm. the negative yes. but has there been one where it was a positive where you went absolutely Actually, I was not a Sleeping Beauty fan growing up that was like not a movie that I I ever watched and I didn't really watch it much at all and then we did our episode on it it was like one of our first few episodes and yeah. I was like in awe of how beautiful and stunning that movie is and it's one of my favorites now so that was yeah. you know just like Kurt I was like freaking out before the episode I'm like this is so good like how did I not know like <laughs> yeah. how good this movie was and, and like um, I was kind of embarrassed for her because yeah. the two of us 
she's the one that works in animation and i'm over here like yeah i know <laughs> i'm aware and she's like the trees and i'm like i get it Ivan yeah. Merrill, whatever like it is it is a stunning work of art like again like that's yeah. one of the disney films that most people would point to as like animation as an art form if only yes. because of how much money they were willing to invest in backgrounds and scenery and all those types of things. It is, it is a beautiful film. I'm not at the same level with that one as Licious, but like, I'm happy to support her in her journey mm-hmm. of becoming Ivan Earl's number one. Stand. Yeah. It's like a super weird. I got the book now. Right. Like Kurt's yeah. got it for me. Well, I mean, yeah. no one at, by the end of that film, no one at Disney was Ivan Earl's number no, one. Stand, no, definitely they not. Really were. Definitely no, not. no. Some people will listen to that and hear us laughing about it and be like, I don't get it. And I'll be like, that's well, cute. Just go listen go to our Sleeping to Beauty episode, episode yeah. or Daniel's yeah. Sleeping Beauty yeah. Oh, yeah. episode. We, yeah. did, we had to do two. Sleeping Beauty yes. was such a I remember, I remember yes. finishing the research and messaging Alex and be like, Alex, I'm so sorry. We have to do this in two episodes. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, I can't cut yeah. this in one. Like it has to be it's it took them big. like 10 years to make it. It deserves yeah. two episodes yeah. for sure. Did we for give sure. it two? No. no. But no, we could have. I mean, I also gave the Black Cauldron two, so I can't really talk. Doing that film was like archaeology. It was like, you know, this because no, there's no consolidated document no. on the making of that film. So it's no. like this bit from here and this bit yeah, from here. So I yeah, bet. just bounce off the back of what I did. Just use it. Go, Amazing. go you have my blessing. We'll it uh, we'll give you like, credit in our it sounds like a outro. precursor to Emperor's New Groove, then if it was just digging bits out, nothing's oh, yeah. connected, yeah. like it's just a hot mess express from beginning to end. I mean except that film fun. that film worked. Yes, yeah, it was amazing. Somehow, it was so by magic, yeah. Somehow. It, it turned but out. But I mean, good. that that also happened to Beauty and the Beast. Like yeah. Beauty and the Beast had a like it wasn't a trouble production, but it was like a last second complete throw oh, yeah. start there's, again thing. There's so many, there's so many that are, yeah. and it usually pays off for them when they yeah. kind of take that leap when they realize they have to. In fact, it probably would have been better for them if they had just thrown everything out with Black Cauldron and started again. The problem was they just kept going. They just put tried to push it through and brute force it and on, it never worked. On, never worked. Honestly, like of all the films I've covered, none have made me more sad than covering oh. that film. Because it's just like, yeah. oh, they really, really wanted to do a good job with this. And it's just like it just it's they- just watching a slow motion train crash yeah or a car no. crash just watching a slow motion train crash yeah. hearing you say that just i just know now that i'm going to like force myself to love it because that's the type of person i am like i will finish books that are so bad i read the entire after series which is like four thousand pages of nothing but like <laughs> unprotected teenage sex and bad writing that's all it is it's terrible and did i finish all of it i did did i share my opinion on the internet i did like why i don't know and so like i would be part of the team at disney being like this black cauldron we started it we're gonna finish it like i single-handedly would make it happen yeah. To be honest, I I do love the film. I actually like oh, that was too. the big okay. surprise. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. I I remember watching it and just being like this is a this is like a damaged film, but like there's something like I I won't I won't ruin like your call your opinions of it, but I was very it's a much more impressive piece of work than I think it's given credit for even though it okay. from a narrative so- character level doesn't work. The fact that you're you saying like you've actually really liked all the episodes that you've done so far, which is like you're you're kind of approaching the 90s at this point, right? So you've covered yes. a lot of like the the Disney historical films. That's crazy to me that you've said you've liked all of these. So I have to ask, is that 
coming from doing the research, knowing how they're made and like having a respect for them? Or is it you've always kind of enjoyed all of these movies? Um, That is a very good question. I think because the way I approach them now, now that we kind of have a more of a standardized way of like a, a, mm -hmm. like a pipeline of doing the show, I usually watch them before I start the research. Mm, um, okay. So in a lot of cases, it's just been, I think it's that for almost every single one of them, it's, it becomes a balance of like, what do I like and what do I don't like? And so for a film right. like The Fox and the Hound, which is a film that I think is pretty good, but doesn't mm -hmm. quite work. But then I'm like, there are things about it I don't think work. Like I don't think the songs work. I think a lot of the middle section is a bit flabby. I don't think the romance at the end works, but the ending is incredible. And mm -hmm, the good. sequence where Todd and um, Copper are like, becoming friends is so like there are so many things about it where I'm like there's a lot to appreciate in this film and so in the end I kind of like fall on the, on the side of it but I mean yeah. also I've been you know the, doing the early films means you're kind of spoiled for choice like you know yeah. when you, you basically it's like Snow White to Bambi it's like well there's five masterpieces and then yeah. the war period for all of its messiness is still at least really interesting like mm -hmm, as much yeah. as you know, make my music and melody time are just kind of inferior versions of Fantasia. There are things yeah. in there, and like some of the se segments are really dull, but then some of the segments are fabulous. Are so good, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. The same with Salute as Amigo Amigos and the Three Caballeros, which I think those two films, my love for them was enriched by knowing where they came from and the kind mm -hmm. of the integrity was built in them. And then once you hit like Ichabod and Mr. Toad, it's just like bang, 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 yeah. bang, bang, bang through the through to Walt Disney's death. I think the the, the surprise was how much I loved the films from the seventies and eighties as well. Um, mm. With one exception of one film, I was just like, no, I don't, I just can't. What and is, I, I, we gotta know what is that movie? I just Oliver and Company is just not a good film. Oh, it's just, I it's just I not, agree, it's not, not a good a film. Yeah. It listen, has it. Ha listen, Daniel. I agree. It's not good. But like <laughs> Billy Joel as a streetwise dog. Yes. Not worried. Are you kidding? I just I literally will... watched that last night. That's that sequence. And oh, my wow. roommate and I are like, Dodger can get it. Dodger oh. is like. I still, I, st mm -hmm. I watched that film. So I watched the film before I researched it and I watched it before I recorded the episode on it. And both time and the, like the second time, even because I knew I didn't like it. And the second time. <laughs> There's something about that opening five minutes. It's like the opening of Up or it's like the opening of The Lion King where it almost tricks me that mm -hmm. maybe this is a good film because the opening <laughs> sequence up until the end of um, um, uh, Why Should I Worry mm -hmm. is so good. It's good, yeah. And like that whole music sequence is so good. And then as soon as it leaves that sequence, the whole thing falls apart so spectacularly it and it never picks itself up. So yeah, that's yeah. the only one, like the only one where I was like, even like uh fun and fancy free which is a film i don't really care for yeah um i would watch that over oliver and company rescue is really? down under now now i'm in the 90s the rescue is down under right. is also pretty far down pretty well. bad yeah now i'm also curious are there any of these movies that you had not seen before you started preparing for an episode because like lish and i have had a handful between the mm -hmm. two of us where either one or both of us had not watched it either all the way through or ever and the way that you're talking about all these movies, it's like, I've seen them all, which is very possible. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm I'm just curious, like, were any of them brand new? 
Yeah, there were a few. I mean, there were some that I didn't remember at all. Like Fox and the Hound, I had no... I knew I had seen it, but I had mm-hmm. no memory of it at all. Um, Beautiful movie. I had seen... Of it. the... I think the, I think the war period probably... Like, I'd seen the Three Caballeros as a kid, didn't remember anything about it. I'd never seen Saludos Amigos, so that was brand okay. new. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never seen Make Mine Music because it's basically... Oh, yeah. impos- it's impossible to get here. Like, it's the only mm-hmm. Disney film that is just... you just In Australia, you just can't get it for reasons that I have never been able to, to work out. But no, most up until the point where I'm at now, I had seen most of them with the okay. exception yeah. of maybe one or two and going forward there's only about maybe three that i haven't i've never seen home on the range for reasons that should be evident yeah self-explanatory uh, yeah we, we can't I've wait seen... for your home on it's the cursed. range episode I, yeah um uh, i've never good. seen i don't think i've seen bolt if i have oh, i can't remember it i pleasantly surprised by that I've one. never seen I've never seen Chicken Little. So like there's a lot of those films from later down the track. Yeah, in the 2000s. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah I mean, the cursed most, period. Yes, the, <laughs> Everything's the, bad. The, the, the dark ages is what yes. I I, yes. I want to yeah. I want to call it, but I think I'm I think that's a bit mean. On, no, I mean, that is I, it, those films. It I think it fits as long as you end it before Princess and the Frog because No, I think I I there. I'm of the contentious opinion that that period goes through to wreck it ralph i think because i because that like, includes I tangled then too right i've i've seen it and i have no memory daniel thank you for all. your time thank you so much uh that's it's been real fun it's been real fun right. uh, hey, i can't i can't i can't say that i don't like it because i don't remember it so i might get to it and be like this is great because you're also, gonna love it what, yeah watching them chronologically like you just helps kicked me in the throat. that's so rude wow yeah I'm tangled so you don't remember no i don't i have no memory of it but i'm pretty sure like of that period that's the one that i think i'm going to come out being like oh yeah like that works i like that i think um, you're gonna think it works frog. even if you don't like it's it so you're good. gonna think it works yeah yeah, yeah. both of those but, both yes of those. Yeah. I definitely know I don't like Wreck-It Ralph. I know that. I've that's given fair. It Again, thank you for your time. time. Thank no, you so that, much for your that's time. <laughs> good with me. Good with me. Wow. Uh, so you also clearly have an extensive knowledge of like how these movies are made, what goes into them. Is there any kind of background? I know you've got a theater background, but anything specifically in animation or is this all just research and stuff that you're just kind of learning as you go? This is all just because I'm a big old nerd, really. Yeah. I mean, it's it was it was kind of because I've been th- I've making the podcast has made me reflect a lot on how I got to the point where I th- wanted to talk about these films this way. And I mean, you know, when I was little, my mum loves Disney, so you know, and I was mm-hmm. at the right age where I could go and see. It was the last round of major re-releases, so not only getting to see Little Mermaid and Beauty and Beast mm-hmm. and Aladdin and Lion King in the cinemas, but mm-hmm. also. Snow White and Peter Pan and oh, Jungle cool. Book and I think Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. And so it, there was, I think what happened, because yeah, my background is in theatre. I don't work, I work as a film critic as well, but that was kind of much later in life that I came to that. But the kind of crossover period happened where as I got into my teens, my love mm-hmm. of film, like I started to, like I was living in a country town. I didn't have access to a lot of things. And I remember my uncle organised to get me a library card to the closest town that had a really big library and I had a big VHS collection because DVD hadn't quite turned up yet mm-hmm. and so I was going to the library just picking off random shit off the shelf like I remember one of my friends in high school being like hey 
I'm looking for this VHS for this film. Can you go and see if you can get it from your library? It's called 2001 A Space Odyssey. And so I got it for him and then he gave it back to me to take back to the library. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I'll give it a look. And then like, that was it. Like discovering Kubrick, discovering Fincher. Mm -hmm. And so when I then moved from living in a country town to living in Melbourne, um, which was, you know, I was living in Queensland, which is the, the top of Australia. I was moving to Melbourne, which is the bottom of Australia. Very different climates, mm-hmm. cultures, that kind of stuff. But all of a sudden I had more libraries that I had access to. And so all of a sudden I was, yes. yeah, yeah. And, and, and DVD had turned up. Yeah. And that was the beautiful thing of like with the event, with the, uh, the arrival of DVD was audio commentaries and making of documentaries. And oh, I, true. By, yeah. by kind up. of yeah. terrible coincidence, I never could study film. Like I, I only did like one unit of it in high school Uni, I couldn't study it because it clashed with all of my theatre studies and I've just never had any chance to do any formal studies of it. So those things became my film school in a way. Mm-hmm. But the great thing was at the same time as I was discovering that as a thing I was interested in starting to build on my understanding of film language by watching Kubrick and Fincher and Hitchcock and Spielberg and, you know, Malick and all of these, these filmmakers, that's when the platinum editions turned up the Disney right. DVD Platinum Edition. Oh, yes. And so yeah. all of a sudden, I have these pimped out DVDs of these <laughs> classic Disney films. And it, like, of course, I got the first one I got was Beauty and the Beast because it's Beauty and the Beast. Of but course. then as I went, started uni and I started to have my own income, I started collecting them. And mm-hmm. I would sit there and I'd watch the making of documentaries on Bambi or Peter Pan or Aladdin Um and all of a sudden I started to see that the language that was being employed in the making of the live action films that I loved was also the same kind of language that was being employed in discussing the animated films yeah, that I loved. Absolutely. And that was extending, and that meant that mm-hmm. you know, I was looking at these Disney animated films in a very different way. And another one of the other guests I've had, I think um Dave Lee said this I asked him that question. He said the same thing. It was like it was having an understanding that these are not just these are not just mm-hmm. animated film for kids and that ex- then extended out to you know appreciations of an- you know, other animated films that i loved like some of the films of don bluth or looking at some of the like the the, the british animated films in the 50s then discovering mm-hmm. ghibli and anime and but because i was thinking about them in a critical and analytical sense at the same time that meant I was also now looking at all these new ones. And there was that burst of great animated films like Coraline and, you know, yes, and Gromit yeah. Curse the Were-Rabbit mm-hmm. and like all, and, and, you know, the arrival of Spirited Away when that sacred object was blessed upon us. <laughs> like, so all, so it was, it was kind of like this perfect, wonderful storm of one interest and another interest kind of crossing over into one another and then merging into the point where I just was like, well, I don't think of Disney as a separate entity to you know, Citizen Kane or Seven Samurai. Like I think, yep. of, I think you, know, you could put a film like Pinocchio on the same level as that. And the other thing realizing was that a lot of the classic Hollywood films that I loved, like films like, you know, like those original five Disney masterpieces, Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Bambi and Dumbo are being made at the same time as Casablanca and Citizen Kane and Gone yes, with the Wind. Yes, yes. Like the films of, the, of like Wizard of Oz and, you know, not just classic films in um, you know, America, but classic films internationally. And that's like not coincidental. Like yeah, yes. those films are feeding off each other. And so the then it was just a case. historical context is huge. Yeah. yeah. And so then it was just, 
I just kind of naturally got to the point where now I just can't not think about them. And like the, the important thing is to be able to separate thinking about them as, as an, like thinking about them analytically, but also kind of my starting point always is how does it make me feel like, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. Beauty and the Beast is what it is because of how it makes me feel. I understand that it doesn't put a foot wrong in any capacity in its construction or its creation, or it's like, you know, as a, as a, as a piece of storytelling or as a, as a technical piece of film. But the most important thing is that it makes me feel something very, very, very deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the sure. process for me is then to go, why does it make me feel that? How did they get what is how did yeah exactly yeah. what are the things that they're doing that are leading to the emotional reaction i have which is why i kind of try to go back to a very early question why i try to remain objective with making the podcast because i understand that i might not look like oliver and company but i know other people like oliver and company and it's not my job right. to sit there and tear this thing apart and even if like in that episode we do a bit but yeah. it always comes back <laughs> like i can't but, help it yeah because <laughs> both me and the guests are in agreement. but we yeah. but the thing i kept kind of coming back to was like why don't we like this so we mm-hmm. can justify our reasons but also mm-hmm. what are the things about this film that does work like yes. what what yeah. what are the things that we can connect with with this um because yeah. it's an acknowledgement that film is a subjective medium and disney really is a subjective medium completely and I think I think that is also like I mean you're making so many interesting points I feel like I've said that's an interesting point Daniel, like five <laughs> times in this conversation but I mean, that's something I notice when Lish and I are debating a movie. Like, I love Robin Hood, for example. Oh, yeah. And, Robin Hood uh, rules. Thanks, buddy. Okay. I knew I could count on you for that the, one. The, only, the, the only time they've ever made a political film. It's their one politically themed <laughs> film. Yeah, they're like, like, we're going to go places. We didn't even know we were going with this one. Also, there yeah. will be Phil Harris. There yeah. will be. Yeah. He will be there. Yeah. Phil Harris yeah. having a great time. But like that film, that mm-hmm. film is being made at the end of the Vietnam War during the Watergate scandal. Like it's like its place in America. Like it, you can't look at it and go, you can't, like it can't not be consuming something of the world around it. Totally. Um, but yeah, Robin Hood rules. Robin Hood's yeah. But like in those, I mean, thank you again for like giving our listeners now more context into I did not address the Vietnam War when I talked about the cultural impact of this yeah. film. So I appreciate you bringing it up now because he, see, look, Lish, there's more stuff yeah. going on in that there's movie more. than you thought. Yeah. But when Lish and I disagree about movies, what I've noticed is different about our conversations about this disagreement would be that we're both bringing, like you said, like reasons, like, why do I not like this? Right. Like, yes. and for Robin Hood, it could just be like, let's just like, it's too silly. Like I'm not looking for silliness in a film. Also right? like, the visuals, not- it's just like a right. very sudden drop in, and yes. it's due in to quality. budget and like all of those kinds of things. Yeah. That and there, and, and like, those are conversations that when I try to have it, and you've mentioned, you've alluded to this a lot, Daniel, but like, when you try to have conversations about Disney films and why you do or don't like them. Too many people are stuck in the nostalgia or just like, I don't like it because it's animated Mm -hmm. or I don't like it because it's from the seventies. And there's, it's kind of like, there is, there's ways for you to have an opinion and be unobjective about your like enjoyment of the film, Mm -hmm. but then still have reasons for why that exists that you can communicate in a conversation or a debate instead of just making a statement that like, it's the best. I think that's part of the reason that my Lion King like apathy developed is because too many people our age are like well it's the best one and when i ask them why they're like because it's the lion king i'm sorry the color white is white because it's white are you kidding me that doesn't make any sense like you're not giving me any like context i need a little more rich a little more depth 
to yeah. reasoning behind things because like that. For that means feel... then you can you can have a conversation about a work of art, yes. and that's the point mm-hmm. of like yes. that's the best thing about art as a concept is the way mm-hmm. that like that's like the fact that art all art of any kind is subjective is actually the best thing about it and yes. oftentimes is the thing that is like the the discourse particularly the cultural discourse around particularly film but any kind of cultural objects at the moment is dismissing the idea that it can be subjective that like mm-hmm. you know, i'm like my favorite thing my favorite cultural object in the entire world is the lord of the rings like more than anything i love it more than members of my own family um, <laughs> And like, but the thing, like, uh, but the thing is, obviously, yeah, right now there is this idea that there is a an objective opinion about mm-hmm. what that thing is, and right, that just right. frustrates the hell out of me because it's like, no, like the beauty of this object is that it is subjective. It's that some per- one person can have a, a, a feeling about it that's based on their personal background or their their relationship mm-hmm. with it, and mine can be different. But also, I have friends you can't stand it. It's like that's yeah. great. Because I can have a conversation with you and like, what don't you like about it? And I might learn something more about, for certainly more, learn more about their perspective, mm-hmm. but it may also help me understand my own perspective. Like it's been yeah. the, of, the, of the subject of the Lion King. Like, you know, I have had friends yell at me because I don't like the Lion King. <laughs> and then, but then the friends that actually go, why? I'll sit mm-hmm. there and it's like, I watched it one, with my most recent rewatch of it. I watched it with a friend who was like, I don't understand why you don't like it. And then we watched it. And then we talked about it afterwards. And it was like, oh yeah, I see what you mean. And I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to convince him to mm-hmm. be on my side with it. But it was the thing of going, if we think about what the, how, if we talk about these things, it enriches the life of these things. Right. Yes. And then all of a sudden we're able to kind of, you know, open up to have better conversations about art and culture. Yeah. Yeah. And it draws you closer to people who maybe aren't Disney fans. Like if we're talking specifically about being able to discuss Disney films as art or as cultural objects or whatever other lens we want to like look at them through, I think just what you were saying now, like being able to express from both sides why someone loves or doesn't love something, it means that it becomes a gateway to a conversation with people who also aren't huge Disney fans, because it's like, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of um, what I've gotten in my own life when people slap the label of Disney adult on me, which like still figuring out how I feel about it, you know, as I haven't owned it yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not like going around being like, yeah, that's (laughs) I'm also like, it's not, not me. So I guess I kind of have to be okay Mm -hmm. with it, but I find when people assume that that means I'm a certain type of person they either do or don't want to talk to me about Disney movies. And they assume yes. that I do or don't want to talk to them about Disney products as well. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, I'm I'm very open to people being critical of it. I'm very open to people not liking it. Like I love nothing more than when people are like, I hate it. And here's why I'm like, that's a valid point. That's right. Some of our point. most like, fun episodes are ones where we actually disagree and we come at it yeah. from like two different sides and then we have to kind of talk through why that is yeah and but but it yeah it it is an interesting interesting because because since you um messaged to ask me to be on the podcast and told me what the topic was I have been thinking about this a lot and also thinking about like the impact of since I started this podcast because like you know there are you know particular found like tenants in my life of things that I do like when Mm -hmm. people ask me like what do you do because I'm in a new city I'm yep. single, I'm dating, I come into immediate <laughs> making friends, all those things. And so they'll ask you, what do you do? And so you know, I tell them that I'm doing my master's. I tell them that I'm a theater director. I 
held on him a film critic. And inevitably the subject of this of ink and paint will come up. Mm-hmm. And I am in like insanely proud of this thing because I just don't, I can't quite believe that we're pulling off what we're pulling off and that people actually want to listen to the damn thing. But in the idea that at some point it's going to be finished and there's just going to be this document that exists that for a, mm-hmm. a person like me who might be 20 years younger than me, who wants to know more about this might find mm-hmm. this op, this, this document mm-hmm. and it, it may enrich their ability, their understanding or whatever they might, whatever, but it's having to navigate talking about that with other adults. And yeah. Yeah. The look you, you're, I'm always waiting for the look in their eyes when I say what it is and hoping that I can get past saying I host a Disney history podcast to then for them to go, Oh, what's it like? What does it involve? And then when I explain it, they go, oh, I get it now. I get what mm-hmm. you're doing. Yes. Um, yes. But it's getting past that first, because there is this idea about what it means to be a Disney adult. And there is like, and it, you know, whatever capacity anybody wants to love any work of art is completely fine. Yeah. As long as it doesn't harm anybody else, that it isn't detrimental to them or them, other people, the environment or whatever. Um, Absolutely. But it's also wanting to contextualize, like, you know, because also I have to contextualize when people say, think I love anything Disney. It's like, no, 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 no. I love the Disney animated feature films. Yes. That's yes. my area of knowledge. I don't know about the TV series. I don't know about the game, the video games. I don't know that much about the parks, but my, yeah. I don't even know anything about the video sequels. I'm like, there's mm-hmm. 60 films that exist. And that is the thing that I'm interested in. That's what in. I care about. Yeah. 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 But also my favorite icebreaker moment with them is when I drop the surprise on them once they've accepted it, when I refer to Disney and I'm sorry to say this on a, on a, on another Disney podcast, but like I when wait. I refer to Disney as the most evil entertainment corp like, entity oh, on the face oh, of the earth. 100%. And, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, and to be honest, <laughs> only by doing ink and paint have I understood just how evil they are because I understand mm-hmm. that this is a very recent thing. That yes. this is not the that's not the tenants that the company was built on. It's not the yes, it's not the original intention. We've no, we've strayed very far. Yeah, but mm-hmm. that's also my icebreaker moment with them. Like when they go, oh yeah, you're not just someone who's going to you know, you're not going to yeah. be committed to this no matter what. And there's Disney stuff around my house, of course there is. Of course, but you know. They're gonna have to stand in awe at my very expensive, very rare Beauty and the Beast poster because yeah. that's just, oh, you know, my. It's a cultural pa- object. It's an exactly. art object. Exactly, yeah. and all my Pinocchio shit everywhere. All my like bookshelves full of Disney art books. Like, mm-hmm. you know, but it's yeah. it's it's having to break through that context of this is because it's the thing of like most people don't want to talk about why they love Disney. They just want to say they love Disney. I yes. want to get to the moment where I can say, this is why, like, I want to share yes. my love for it with somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think like, there's just such a sheer volume of people who are happy to end the conversation at, I love Disney and make it yes. like their whole personality. And my younger brother has teased me about this for years. Like whenever I, whenever he, you know, makes a snide comment, cause he's very sarcastic and very cutting. He's such a Scorpio, but he will <laughs> always, he will always make comments about, you know, how I'm a Disney adult and say it very dismissively. And I say, you know, something about like, that's not all that I am. And he's like, that's like your whole personality. Like you've made that your whole personality. And now I find that because I've heard that type of thing from him and other people enough mm-hmm. times, I really don't want it to be my whole personality. Or yeah. if it is my whole personality, I want people to know, like you just said, that like, there's more to it than just like, I like Disney. Like yeah. I would never yeah. just go up to someone and say, hi, I'm Curbs and I like Disney. Yeah. There's a lot it's, of it's, reasons and layers. And yeah, like that's such a yeah. shallow yeah. label. 
Like mm-hmm. there's so much more to it. If we're going to label me as a Disney adult, I want there to be more depth. Like I want there to be the questions of like, well, what about Disney specifically? And I think that comes from people understanding that it's not just one thing. Like the company is not just one thing. The and movies I, are not just one thing. Like it's, yeah, there's a lot. And I do think that that is a mentality that talking about the most evil entertainment entity on the face <laughs> of the earth. I think that is a thing. Cause I mean, I, at some point I've had this conversation, whether it's been on one of like the patron episodes or something, I've had this conversation with someone recently where it's like, they foster that in their fans. The idea mm-hmm. of analysis and critical engagement with their work is a thing that at some point in the past 15 years, they just decided they didn't want to happen anymore. I think it's the point right. where the home entertainment releases went from being the best you could possibly get to basically non-existent because it was yeah. the idea of removing the idea of critical critical engagement with their IP. And they have yeah. an amazing array of ip but it's the thing of they don't want they don't foster that kind of relationship with their fans what they want is a fan that's going to do nothing but consume it's like when people you know again i didn't watch it because i'm not a i'm not a masochist i didn't watch the new (laughs) pinocchio and i'm not going to watch the new pinocchio because i i i, I don't i don't want to put myself through that but it's I just i love myself like, too much yeah i love myself too much but in the lead up like where any time any disney property is announced and there's just this you just see this thing of like blind uh you know adherence to whatever the company wants you to be interested mm-hmm. in and it's yeah. like that's not like that's i think i think that the idea of the disney adult that we now think of is actually an idea that has been cultivated by the company itself, unfortunately. In some ways, the animated features have for a long time been the last remnants of Disney, of that not happening Mm -hmm. at Disney. I think recently that is starting, in of late that is starting to crumble again, but it's still holding together somehow that you know and i mean that's the most interesting thing about the disney animated features is that what you're seeing is a consistent narrative or thematic idea replayed over and over and over Mm -hmm. again but beautiful but with variation Mm -hmm. that like yes Yes. they're always about the lost child yes they're always about the creation the recreation of a found family they're always about like that journey is repeated constantly and there are variations between depending on Mm -hmm. gender and culture but it's beautiful like that's the beautiful thing about them is you're seeing you're seeing the theme reimagined again and again yeah mm-hmm. i'm happy to hear that you're gonna do some of the cg ones because i wasn't oh, yeah. sure if you would be stopping after the end of the 2d just well, because of the ink and paint name but well that um, that would that would no. mean i'd be ending on home on the range so oh uh, well princess the frog princess oh the frog, yeah have... 2d yeah well technically the last te- this is me being a technical nerd technically the last <laughs> 2d animated film is actually winnie the pooh Right. Winnie true. The they had, yes, counted. true. Yeah. Yeah. But no, true. the plan was always to, because that, because I mean, yes, the name is Ink and Paint, but like that is like that, what we've been able to chart over the course of even where we're up to is even mm-hmm. that as a concept changes because, you know, when you have yeah. the arrival of Xerox, the ink part is not That's necessarily the same. It's when Caps true. turns yeah. up, neither of those things exist. Yeah. So it's, it's, it be- like that in itself becomes an evolution where all of a sudden you're seeing how this the, t- the 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 physical act of putting a pencil to paper starts to shift to putting a you know a stylus to a screen like yeah and it's still as legitimate um and i would want to as much as i know that i'm gonna have to 
suffer through Chicken Little and Bolt and all of that transition, it's still an important important. transition because then at the end of it, you get to Frozen and Big Hero 6 and Zootopia Mm -hmm. and Moana, like where all of a sudden the idea of what, because that's the the fascinating thing about that period is Disney going like what, so much of it is just Disney going, who are we? Yeah, the identity crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, at the end of that always is the realization of what your identity is. And I think they're going through another identity crisis again. So it's just the thing of like, that's, and that's what makes their story interesting is that at the end of it, there are these moments, there are always these moments of glory and Mm -hmm, and there are these moments of collapse. And like, that's the amazing thing covering the nineties is that we assume because it's the Renaissance that the collapse will happen at the end of the Renaissance and the ha- collapse mm-hmm. happens at the beginning of the Renaissance. Beauty and yes. the Beast is like the highest point they ever reach and the point where everything starts to fall apart again. And you can yeah. see that in all the films, like, like, you know, that Pocahontas is a mess for that reason. And Hercules mm-hmm. is wonderful as it is, is a mess for other reasons. And Hunchback is like an anomaly because no one was paying attention to what they yeah. <laughs> doing in france and all of a sudden like, yeah here's this france film and, we made and disney yeah. goes oh shit um yeah but in the best way possible yeah. and it's um, the last disney masterpiece like it's a masterpiece um but like that's yeah that's why we have to kind of go through that period as well because mm-hmm. it's interesting yeah. and that's yeah. you know they're still they're constantly in a state of evolution and change yeah. but yeah disney that's the, I think the identity crisis is that Disney now just doesn't, animation doesn't know where it fits, I think, within the wider spectrum of what this company is. All the Disney is, properties. What it's doing. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I, I think they could benefit actually from the vault coming back and, you know, hiding away some of, not necessarily even their best, like keep, keep the films that are like the gold out, but like, clear the landscape a little bit you've got so yeah. many like you've got the star wars you've got marvel you've got eight thousand other things going on for crying out loud disney jr eating up half the space like we've got like yeah. so many things and it's, it's like, just all accessible it to everybody all the time now yes with it's Plus. like yeah take some away take some yeah. away and like i think now that we are starting to see more money be put back into like parks experiences with like imagineers being brought back and things now that parks are open and they're overpopulating them and overcharging and all that fun stuff. Um, I hope that what that means is that they're going to more critically assess how that IP shows up in their parks and experiences too, because that's also starting to feel very crowded. And like, you know, if you want to have the Encanto cast in a parade, take away another character, (laughs) like take away another franchise. Mm -hmm. And like you do, we do not need to see everything all the time. And I think like, you mentioned, you know, like Frozen, Moana, Zootopia. Those movies were all made right before Disney Plus became the way that we're all consuming this content. And like, you can't really see it, but all my Disney Blu-rays and DVDs are right here on the floor because they need to go oh, into a box. <laughs> my, my, I, I have, I have the DVDs by me. The, the, the Blu-rays are in pride of place in the, in yeah. the lounge room. I've I will, got, I, I don't. Now, Daniel, I don't have a blu-ray player at this house so that's part of the reason that they're going to be put into a box but i've got the vhs i've got all of this but there was something magical about me making the choice to access these characters and this content Mm -hmm. and these objects and these stories right now it's too accessible i don't care about a lot of them anymore the way i would if disney plus said for four months this movie is gone like you just you can't watch it you know and i and i think that could help them unlock some of that magic that we just don't get anymore and I think there, I think there's something that we have lost, I, uh, in terms of like critically engaging with the films. I mean, when 
when these films would be released in in theaters and when you could only access them because of the vault process there would be more of a case of parents and children having a conversation about the film like i think mm, a very important mm, yeah. part of being a kid and watching these films is the conversation you have in the car with your parents afterwards like yes, even as a little yeah. kid where you're talking about oh i like this and this and this and your parents are talking back to you right now with the disney plus as much as disney plus has plenty of you know advantages to it it means it's a thing you stick your kids in front of and just press play and yes. walk away and actually yeah. these objects were not made for that particularly the classic ones were not made yeah to be consumed as a babysitter. They're works mm-hmm. of art that are meant to be watched. But I mean, in terms of other exciting things, the fact that Disney have started their partnership with the Criterion Collection means that maybe all of a sudden there will be a way for adults to have a recontextualized conversation yes. about the classic yeah. films through True. a lens of these films as works of film art, yeah. of, mm. of cinema. Um, yeah. Yeah, one can only hope. The last question that I really wanted to ask you, Daniel, before we let you go is if you could be a fly on the wall during the making of any of these movies that you've researched so far, which one? Oh my God. I know. Oh. I knew this would be a hard one. Um, I mean, it's weird because I feel like I've been a fly on the wall for so many of them. Um. I don't but know. like to be in the room. subtle brag, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, it. Oh, that is such a hard question to answer because I mean, there are like the ones that come to mind immediately. Like, oh well, like you know, Beauty and the Beast or Sleeping mm. Beauty or even the Black Cauldron. But like, I think there are moments I wish I wish I could be a fly on the wall too. Like, I was thinking, yeah, right. The moment in film in Disney history, I actually would love to be able to be in the room for is the New York Film Festival preview of Beauty and the Beast. The first oh, time yeah. anybody saw it. Yeah, like that's the sure. thing that like I, because I'm reading a lot about it, but to be honest, it might be Fantasia. Um, wow. Okay. Just because of like the, like the Fantasia Pinocchio period, because they're both being made at the <laughs> same time. I think it might be that just because they're doing they're doing stuff making those films that just is like boggles the mind now. Like, mm, yeah, that, like to the point where like, you know, there's this great story about like, you know, the visual, the special effects in Pinocchio, Fantasia and Bambi, like for like 50, 60 years, nobody knew how they did them because nobody yeah. wrote it down until they found a notebook in a nun's house that had it all written down. All yeah. of a sudden they're like, oh, we only now know how they achieved the Ave Maria shot in Fantasia. Or like mm-hmm. the the tracking shot in Pinocchio, which is just insane. Yes. Yeah, um, iconic for sure. Yeah. So I think it'd be it'd be wanting to be there to maybe just see how that happens. Because they're to inventing the wheel at that point, right? Yeah. So it's just mm-hmm. like they're mm-hmm. inventing they're inventing this art form of animation. Yeah. I I agree. I feel like that that time period would be just insanely and, interesting to have and have been there. and even more so than Snow White because it's Snow because at least with but with because with, with Pinocchio and Fantasia they have some foundation to work from so they have a because with snow white there's no bar yeah so they're just kind of like making it the best they can <laughs> no possibly make it with fantasia and yeah. pinocchio it's like we actually have a bar now how yeah. do we exceed that bar and then they make these these double punch 1940s two films that just mm-hmm. they don't exceed the bar they demolish the bar 
Yeah, they like, ate the bar. Yeah. 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 Like, if you, like, I can't, I, this thing when I look at Pinocchio, and I think Pinocchio is like, like, Pinocchio is probably my favorite animated character. I think some of the, the character animation in Pinocchio is, is, is sacred. Like, I think it's yeah. a sacred object. Um, and you just sit, think to yourself, that's the second time anybody ever, like, that is yeah. like your first three, the first three feature length animated films ever made are Snow White, Pinocchio, and Fantasia. Mm-hmm. Like, you're three films in and they make Fantasia. Like, what were they thinking? Like, <laughs> yeah. like how insane is that? That, yeah. that is, we are three films into an art form, into an art movement, and they decide to make the, at that time, the most, the boldest, most abstract, most mm-hmm. intellectually, dr- artistically driven film they possibly could make. It destroys right. them, but it's like that, <laughs> what was I am going- ravaged, but yeah. I'm here. <laughs> But like, what is going on in that those buildings at that? Yeah. Like, what are those conversations like? How are you? How are you having the how discussion? Do we get there? What, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. being in the room to hear them be like, Pinocchio doesn't work. Throw the first six months of work out. How are we going to work out what he is? Or like sitting in yeah. the discussions of like, well, we're throwing the original piece of music for the our fawns and centaurs sequence out, what are we going to have instead? Or like, you know, Stravinsky mm-hmm. walking in and looking at tests of the, of the Rite of Spring or, you know, the moment the earthquake hits when they're shooting the final shot of Fantasia and the whole thing shakes. Like, yeah. all, like it's, it, it's, it's that thing of they are on the cuff, like they, they're on, they're, they're really in the, like the woods of greatness mm-hmm. at that point and they don't know yeah. what they're doing. And yeah. I yeah. find the, I don't know what they're doing aspect. So thrilling. Yeah. Um, I do I mean, think you're cheating with this answer though, because you're really saying two movies and let's they, they were being what? made at the same time. So I don't care. You know, she asked about one and you um, gave two. <laughs> yeah. Then I'd say, I'd say, I'd say Fantasia just because Fantasia is okay. nuts. Just it's nuts. It's, it's nuts that that. Cause I, mean, I just you I, really got me excited. I've never been a Fantasia fan. Uh, I just, I think part of it is that's one I have never actually seen the whole thing. Love the Chernabog, love the idea of it, but it was always like, watch this 20 minutes for music class. And then I never owned the VHS and Mm -hmm. I just haven't like sought it out, but you just sold me. You got very excited. It's my number three. It's my number three Disney of all time. Always going to find more moments that you wish you were there for, but you know, the closest we're going to get is digging into it and then having conversations like this one. And I mean, honestly, all things considered, I think this is a pretty good compromise. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good, yeah. It's a pretty good way for us all to still feel like we're there, even though we definitely were not. Yeah. <laughs> we just we just we just get to imagine the stress as opposed to emulating it. But yeah, I mean, exactly. Like the the thing that's that's lovely about that I've really loved about digging into um digging into the history of these films and where they came from and how they were made and why they were made and like what was the reasoning behind it and the stories from it is the reminder that there are human beings the human beings made these and like when you look at a film like sleeping beauty or even when you look at a film like the black cauldron Mm -hmm. it's there are moments in the really great films and even some moments in the not so great films where you just go a human being did that Mm -hmm. like you look at the shot of aurora and philip dancing along the riverbank Mm -hmm. that single shot in sleeping beauty and you go that was created by a human being or a number of human beings taking a pencil and putting yeah. it to paper. And now that thing is moving in front of me. Or the moment where 
Pinocchio is singing I've Got No Strings and he's all nervous and he scratches his leg, which is the best moment of character animation in anything I've ever seen. Like just the moment where he scratches, mm-hmm. he's like, he's a puppet, he's not itchy, but he's scratching his leg because he's a little boy and he's <laughs> yeah. nervous. And you just go, a human being made that happen. That isn't from a nothing. thing a camera is capturing. From yeah. absolutely nothing, from a piece of paper yeah. and a pencil. And then a human being sat there and they draw that Im- they drew that image. And then they drew a whole bunch of other images around it. And then they handed it to someone else. And that person drew in all the extra little in-between images that went yeah. around it. And then they sent that to someone in another department and another person sat there and traced that on, on a cell and another person painted it and another person photo- you know, photographed it. Mm-hmm. And then they put all these single, these hundreds of thousands of single images together and now they move and they move with the music that a person wrote and the voice recording that a person did. And it's just this understanding of these things which we take for granted. And I think mm-hmm. because of the way that Disney now is so much a part of just international culture in so many capacities it's so easy to take for granted both how these films were made but also how they make us feel and that's mm-hmm. been the thing that i've loved them the loved the most about doing this and i think that's why we have such like an appreciation for you and we're such big fans of you and what you're doing with your podcast is because you can really tell that you you love the like making of and like how it got there. And you've been exploring that in ways that we haven't really heard in a lot of other podcasts. So we just want to say we like really appreciate what you're doing. We love listening to your episodes and this has been great to get a little bit more insight into like where that passion is coming from. So mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing your passion with us. Yes. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna make me emotional. That's a very lovely oh. of you to say. Thank you. Thank you very much. And now it's time for everyone's favorite game, Scenario D Showdown, where we ask our guests a series of questions to find out if they're Team Curves or Team Lish. If you want to play along, head over to the Scenario D Instagram page at Scenario D Podcast and keep your eyes on our stories. We'll be sharing the results there and we want to give you a chance to chime in on whose team you're on. Probably Team Lish. How dare you? <laughs> Get worse. So Scenario D, Showdown, Movie Magic Historian Edition. First question, favorite nine old man? Team Lish is Mark Davis and Team Curbs is Ward Kimball. Oh, oh. So it's out of those two. Out of those those two. You got to pick one. Oh. Oh, it's Ward Kimball. I'm sorry. It's Ward Kimball. I'm (laughs) too Okay. All right. This yes. this next question, Daniel, we, we might have to part ways for one question because sure. this is tough. I want to know of the of I don't even know how to word this, honestly. We have it labeled here as better film. Yes. I would like English. it. To- <laughs> okay, you want to keep it that way? Better film. Yeah. That's so right. rude because this is about to be this is a this is gonna be a bloodbath. I should have changed my answer. But anyway, going with the gut here, Daniel. Better right. film. Team Lish is sleeping beauty. And I'm Robin Hood. Sleeping Beauty. I know. See, this is the thing. If I had picked Pinocchio, you'd be in the pocket. I, oh, yeah. Then I would be. I want to be clear that better film 
we're all interpreting this differently, I think, because if we yes. all were interpreting it as like best crafted piece of art, am I picking Robin oh, yeah. Hood? Absolutely <laughs> not. I guess Bless film it. you Bless enjoy it. more. I don't know. I don't okay, know. Oh, it's, that's yeah. fine. It's, I, I'll let Lish have this one because I'm going to get you on the next yeah, one. Yes, the next one I'm going down. This is um, favorite Howard Ashman film. Lish has The Little Mermaid and Curb says Beauty and the Beast. I think we... Yeah, well, that's yeah. just I'm that's I'm sorry. It's <laughs> I'm okay. Sorry. I think we knew that naming, one going in. Yeah, you're naming you're naming the monolith. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It's the number one. I mean, Lish Lish's very unpopular opinion is that she does not love Beauty and the Beast, and I just think that's dirty and wrong. So I respect you know? that opinion. I respect your opinion. You. I, respect I don't it. respect that also, one. You you love the Lion King, and I don't love the Lion yes. King. Yes. So, yeah. There we go. Agree. There he agree goes being disagree. objective again for yeah. one minute, yeah. Daniel. I want you to just. <laughs> Kurt's just has been waiting to stick it to me. On I'll, these, I'll, so. I'll I'll I'll, I'll <laughs> film footage of you of for you of me watching Beauty and the Beast and having a total breakdown in the last I want five to minutes. See, yeah. so you'll understand I want how, to see how yes. unobjective I am actually. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Bless. Okay, this one is a question related to a film we didn't touch on at all in our conversation. So this is really just going to be like out of the blue. But yeah. fave Jungle Book character, Team Lish is Baloo and Team Curbs is Bagheera. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I Also, oh, I no. forgot that I picked this answer. I honestly, I thought I was going to read King Louis there, but then I was like, that would have been wrong because my favorite is Bagheera. But like, I was best friends with King Louis at Disney World. So like, you've always been a Bagheera gal. I have, because I am Bagheera. Like of the characters, I'm Bagheera. I'm the one who's like, this isn't safe. Get the kid home. Get the kid out of here. (laughs) We're really stressing him out with this one. I I don't. Like, because I mean, the Jungle Book is 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 an immaculate film. Um, oh, but also, like, how do you separate them? How do you separate Baloo and Bagheera? Oh, very like, easily. they're such easily a... like yeah. the bare necessities. It's just I so think, obvious. I think I actually have to go with Baloo. Team Lish, thank you. Thank okay, you. we're tied though. We're tied, okay. so I'm feeling better about this. I could do so this all far. day. This is great. Yeah. This is fun. Keep we, going. We got a few more for you. <laughs> we all got right. more. So Don't worry. Favorite Mary Blair film: Team Lish is Peter Pan, and Team Curbs is Cinderella. Another few we didn't really talk about too much. So, I mean, you didn't name my favorite Mary Blair film, but sure. Um, I know it's Alice uh, Wonderland, but yeah. like, we're just we're we, not going down that rabbit hole. Cool. Sorry, that is a really. <laughs> That's a really good question. Thank you so much. Um, I came up with this one. This was a me. This is a me thing. I just want to say, I get a point. Good job that. curves. I think bonus point. <laughs> that's really hard because I keep like there are positives. Like I love the simplicity of Cinderella, and I think Cinderella mm-hmm. is closer to her art style than Peter Pan is. But Peter Pan has such a richness to it i think actually i'm probably gonna go actually with cinderella um yeah sorry it's fair it's I think fair it that's a tough one that it doesn't tough. help that like when i think of when i think of cinderella i only think of mary blair's interpretation of it but mm-hmm. with peter pan you also have david hall's early yeah. artwork which is extraordinary but then again yeah. david hall also did extraordinary artwork for alice in wonderland and i think mary blair's artwork of alice is sublime but yeah i think it's i think it's i think it's cinderella there's just something so classical and simple mm. and um yeah yeah it's just it's- really dreamy i yeah. i think that the palette like 
while you're right, there's a lot of richness in Peter Pan. And I love that one as well. Cause Peter was my all time favorite Disney movie for so, 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 so many years. Great film. Great but film. it is, it is a great film. Cinderella though is sneaky. I've been sleeping on that one for too long. She's always been high for me, Yeah. but I, when I got the Cinderella like art book that included the live action one as well. So kind of everything oh, and I'm, the art and flair of Mary Blair, those I two miss, books together. I miss getting I was, that book. Oh, tragedy, you tragedy. Need, yeah. You need to get your hands on it. It's gorgeous. Yeah. But like, yeah, I, I think that Mary Blair comes through as like only her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Peter Pan yeah. had other artists that contributed a lot of great conceptual stuff and Cinderella yeah. was all Mary. So I'm sorry, Daniel, whose team did you pick then for this question? Uh, oh yeah, Curbs, I was on team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now this next one, we're going to go in a character direction again, but it's a little bit different. We're going mm-hmm. with favorite OG baddie, okay? So Team Lish is Maleficent and Team Curbs is the evil queen. Uh, Maleficent. Thank you. Maleficent. I, I hoped I would have that one. It's Maleficent. I knew, <laughs> I, knew I would lose she's, this one. She's the best villain. Okay. All right, final Lish, question. This is for all the money. I already and know it's where gonna it's going to cut go. deep, Daniel. No, yeah. you don't. It's I don't know where he's going to pick I know based what he's on the pick. conversation we just had. You know? I know he's going to pick, yeah. Um, favorite classical animal film? Team Lish is Bambi. Team Curbs is Dumbo. Bambi. Oh, really? Bambi. It's Bambi. Bambi's yes. a Bambi. Bambi. I hear this. Bambi's I thought it was going to be Dumbo. Ba- it's Bambi. Bambi Thank is like you. watching Bambi is like stepping into a cathedral. Yeah. Like it's it's, it's I one of my faves. I'm I yeah. start crying within 20 seconds of Bambi because I can't deal with how beautiful that film is. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Well, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. Like we said, we've been big fans of your podcast. So we encourage everybody to check him out at Ink and Paint. And uh, it was great talking to you. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank thank you so much for asking me to be yeah. on. I've had the most wonderful time. One, one oh. more Wonderful morning for me. Wonderful, Hopefully wonderful yes. evening for you. But just, yes, oh, it was. A very wonderful evening. No, absolutely a joy. We should do this again sometime just for kicks. For sure. sure. For sure. <laughs> Get me on, find another obscure topic to talk about, and I'll, yeah. I'll go for broke. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> well, we can count on you for that, which is great. Yeah. It's like, you know, if we tell you what we want to talk about, we know you'll come prepared with everything, and we can just, like, soak it in. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Learn. And if I if I don't know about it, I'm sure I'll, I'll come up with an opinion about it somehow. <laughs> curbs are you thinking you might be a movie magic historian i don't think i am i don't think i care enough about the making of and that doesn't Mm. mean that i don't care at all but i think like some of the deep diving we do the way you and i have broken out like the different categories Mm -hmm. of stuff we talk about all of my stuff is that like warm fuzzy feeling right stuff right even even though i look into you know what some of the like cultural significance or research what went into making a movie was i do find that i like the conversations around the movie more so the work to get to those conversations is not something that really resonates with me but i think it does with you a lot more it definitely does i mean am i on daniel's level no definitely not but it's it's a potential like main category for me for sure and that's why i wanted to start this podcast with you is because i wanted to learn more about Mm -hmm. these movies and i thought that this was a good way to force me to actually spend the time to do the research and i've really enjoyed being able to do that 
Always a good sign when you have to be forced to do a thing you love. Well, you know, <laughs> sometimes it's like, do I read this giant Disney yeah. book about like the making of Pinocchio or do I watch Grey's Anatomy? And <laughs> I usually pick Grey's Anatomy. So that's fair. I yeah. mean, good thing we have Daniel around to really do all that deep diving when we feel like just watching that Grey's episode with the, the shooter in the hospital for the exactly. umpteenth you know? Yeah, exactly. We want to send a huge thank you to our new friend, Daniel, for joining us today. Now that everyone has heard how passionate he is about Disney films and probably loves him as much as we do, Lish, let's remind the people where to find him. His podcast, Ink and Paint, a journey through the Disney animated classics, can be found on all major platforms, or you can find him on Instagram at inkpaintpod. If you're looking for more shenanigans like these, please make sure to subscribe to the Scenario D podcast wherever you love to listen. Better yet, why not rate us? Those stars go a long way. And as always, don't forget to catch us on Instagram at Scenario D Podcast. You are going to love the magic we're making there. 